sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. What a stop! Just for Ben! Jordan Henderson! I mean, that sort of stuff, it's been... We're, be- we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's, he's, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over. We're back. It's been a while. We, many ways, never actually went away. <laughs> uh, welcome along to the first of the season's Premier League uh, Friday podcasts. Adrian Barry, and today joined by Dave McIntyre. How are you, Dave? Lads. Nathan Murphy. Adrian. How are things? I'm very well. I'm, I was hoping for a, a brand new spanking intro with lots of highlights of last season mm. for the podcast, but... Uh, Clearly, you've been taking it pretty handy for the past few days. You hope for too much, Nathan, is what I'll say to you. We uh, have little tweaks on the format planned to come down the track. Not going to be this week. <laughs> not, not, not this week. Darren Bent did sneak in there, though. That was one of the moments of last season, wasn't it? Darren Bent? Were the, were that the, was the oh, Stephen Reid. How are you getting on? How's your father? Yeah. That yeah. was t- Darren Bent, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was from the previous season. What? No, it wasn't. Either either very early in last season. United two, Fulham two, midway no, through no, last no, season. No, no, no. Sorry, I, I understand the game you're talking about, and that was last season. But that clip is what I'm referring to. It was not. It was another time that Stephen Reid lost his shit <laughs> over Darren Bent. That time. Over Darren Bent. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't Bent. I tell you what. Come on. We'll move on. Next we week. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was last season. So at this point, people who are listening have now scroll back to the start to listen to the goal commentary, make sure where it's coming from, and now back with us again. So welcome back. <laughs> I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm pretty excited. Dave's not excited at all. That's fine. Dave has other things in his mind. <sighs> there's, Jesus, there's other the things saga, more important saga, than football. The saga goes on. <laughs> it does go on. <laughs> Where's this baby? <laughs> Where's my baby? Um, yeah, so look, a lot for us to look forward to, including our two live games, first two live games of the weekend on Sunday. Nathan will be at St Mary's for Southampton. I'll probably go to Anfield. I would say I'll go to Anfield, considering Liverpool. Liverpool are at against home. Southampton. St Mary's uh, will be Anfield. If I turn up to St Mary's, going to go. And then uh, Dave and Kenny are Kenny Cunningham. That is are on Newcastle against Manchester City. So we'll be looking ahead to those in a few minutes. We'll We're be getting go. regular updates on dilation and how many uh, centimeters and things like that yes. throughout yeah, the commentary. Just what the listeners want to hear about. Yeah. So look at we're going to uh, one of the tweaks that we're going to do this season is that each week we're going to each choose a treble to bet on, and Jer will uh, hopefully uh, join us at some point today, or even join us at some point this season. Uh, we'd be good with. So he will be along hopefully a little bit later. But uh, either way, he sent through. His his treble pick for the week and we'll get to those at the very end so each of us is going to pick our trebles put a fiver down a virtual fiver and then Maybe a, if you want an actual fiver an actual as well fiver, if you're cheap like Dave probably not and I'm, uh, not gonna, we'll I'm hardly going to back my own tips now am I well, that would I'm be not wise. completely stupid that would, be, <laughs> that would be wise and we'll do a tally then towards the end of the season and that's ultimately the way that's going to work so we're going to kick off we have a lot to get to uh, each week as well we're going to focus on one team to find out uh, what we can expect from them as is the case now with Southampton who we're going to discuss later on or as the season progresses uh, how they're going what sort of style they're playing um, and so that is kind of roughly the format and we're going to start with the very first game of the new season on Saturday it's Manchester United against Swansea at Old uh, Trafford it's Louis van Hal against Gary Monk 
which is probably the most intriguing thing. Well, one of the many intriguing things about this game seems like a bit of a mismatch from the off. It does, doesn't it? It um, harks back to the opening fixture of David Moyes at Manchester United Rain when they thumped Swansea on a rain-sodden evening at, it was the evening kickoff, I think, of the opening Saturday, and that was at the Liberty Stadium. It all seemed well in the world of United, and it looked like things had never changed mm. when Alex Ferguson decided to move upstairs. It didn't last very long, as we know. History has been well written over the last six or seven months in terms of the David Moyes saga. I would imagine it will be a similar story this weekend in the short term. And from a United fan point of view, they'll all be desperately hoping that it's a very different story from this time last season in the long term. That um, it won't be just a good victory followed by their disastrous Well, the fixture list is so much better this season than the fixture list given to David Moyes at the start of last season. If United aren't top of the league after the first five matches, I'd be very surprised. They're five winnable games. You would expect them. Swansea, it's very difficult to know what to expect from them this season. But United, at home... The roar that's going to greet Louis van Gaal. Mm, it'll be incredible. Out. Well, do you think how the fixture list being Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City and Tottenham in the first five games, would Louis van Gaal have been whining and bitching and moaning to the extent that David Moyes was this time last year? Probably not. Yeah, but he had to get his shot in before uh, before a ball was kicked, of course. So the preseason has gone pretty sweet for United as well. The optimism is high there. Five wins and a draw. And it seems as if uh, they're going to plough ahead with this 3-4-2-4-1-2 formation. Uh, three centre-backs and a little trickling through of some youth players from United as well, which was something we saw to a great degree under David Moyes, maybe for various other reasons. Um, but it looks as if that's the preferred uh, choice of, of Louis van Gaal, and that would be consistent with the sort of Alex Ferguson, certainly in terms of bringing through those young players, consistent with the Alex Ferguson mould, obviously. Yeah, well, the trickling through of young players, the problem for Moyes was he was afraid of taking risks. He got to the stage two, three months into the season where he couldn't afford to take any risks. Louis van Gaal doesn't care. He'll do whatever the hell he wants throughout this season. If he wants to throw in an 18-year-old and he plays poorly, Louis van Gaal will take it on the chin. Moyes, everything seemed to affect him personally. Louis van Gaal is the perfect manager for Manchester United because he doesn't really need the club. They need him at this stage more than he needs them. Mm. He's just coming off the back of a really successful World Cup campaign. He's won everything there is to win the game. I know you're going to come back now about... Is at Alkmaar and you know where's his club experience over the last few years, but this guy is massive balls, and that is exactly and what he's not United to show need. Them. Because this isn't going to be plain sailing this season. Luke Shaw's out for the first month, so there's only going to be one new signing, Ander Herrera, starting tomorrow, and they've lost a lot of players. And this was a problem I I kind of thought at the end of last season when people were saying they need a massive clear out. If you clear out ten eleven players, you need to buy ten mm. eleven players, and they didn't get much money. For many of the guys who went, okay, Butner's gone, Ferdinand, Vidic, obviously Ryan Giggs has retired. Uh, That's In Ferdinand, Vidic and Everett, that is a huge amount of experience. Butner's gone as well. So defensively, they are quite light. Unless Johnny Evans, well, Johnny Evans is consistent, but unless Phil Jones and Chris Smalling can finally step up to a world-class level and prove that they are. They should mm. be England's centre-back partnership. Well, there's also this kid, Tyler Blackett, that's coming through and there's a possibility that if uh, he does play that 3-4-1-2 that he gets one of those spots on the left side uh, against United on Saturday. But I mean, you know, and, and it is an interesting point you make, but obviously some of those players that you mentioned, it was they were maybe 12 months in some cases beyond what they could offer United. Yeah, well, they were still four of the best players in the history of the club. Yes, and maybe you actually and maybe you keep them around. And When you talk about lo- losing some of the dead wood of the club, 
Yeah, I'm not surprised that the likes of Vidic is gone, that Ferdinand was clearly gone, Evra was pretty much gone. But the guys who you also expected to follow them out the door, fellas like Nani, for example, how he survived at the club is just beyond me. I'd be extremely worried if I was a Manchester United fan because they haven't signed anyone at the back. Phil Jones has not been fit for more than two consecutive months since they signed him. Chris mm-hmm. Smalling is injury prone. Johnny Evans is injury prone. You've lost two of the most experienced full centre half in the history of the game. Rafael is injured. Shaw, as you mentioned, is already out injured. They haven't added anything to their squad aside from Ander Herrera. Now, I think when from their midfield upwards, some people can make an argument that it's up there in the top two or three front fives in the Premier League when they're all fit and playing. But at the back, you have to be worried about Manchester United. They need to make a signing, at least one in a central defensive position before the transfer window closes, whether it's Mats Hummels. They obviously had their sights on Thomas Vermaelen. He's gone now to Barcelona. It just seems to me that they haven't improved in personnel. Clearly, you expect a massive improvement from the rest of the guys that are there under David Moyes because he didn't look like a Manchester United manager from the day he arrived. Even when he was in the Everton dugout over 10 years, he never looked like he could manage Manchester United. Whereas you're looking at Van Hal in the dugout of the World Cup and you're thinking, this guy is a Manchester United manager. So that's the massive difference. They've replaced Van Hal... They've replaced Ferguson with Van Hal now as opposed to Ferguson with Moyes. And the other thing is as well that obviously that it becomes a completely different template from what Moyes was trying to do. That he's even some players like Ashley Young have shown in pre-season that they can that this system will absolutely suit them. And there's a lot to look forward to with Herrera as well. Albeit, as you said, Dave, uh, one of the few sort of signings that he's made. Um, we all we always like to look back and say he's the new this that or the other. Uh, but the new Paul's goals, uh, by all accounts, uh, maybe maybe the tackling aside, but certainly got uh, good. If, the, if speed he's the new Paul's goals, twenty nine million quid will be an absolute bargain. Well, passing is the thing. Essentially, he's got good speed and passing is Michael. Carrick's thing yeah and Carrick's out as well for two months if they get Carrick fit and Herrera's fit and Matt is in the team and you've got Rooney and Van Persie there as well Look, there's, they could do really great things with the ball. And the guys around them, the Ashley Youngs, Nanny, if he does stay, a great manager like Van Hal brings them to yeah, a level the best like they were a couple of years ago, good enough to win a title. Now, Get, gets Valencia back to, to his best. Title. When they won the title in 2013, he was the best winger in the league. Um, they, he needs to get them far more out of those guys, and I think he will. So you can look at the personnel and the lack of signings, but you are effectively going to get maybe five or six new signings, metaphorically speaking, out of the guys who never showed up for the mm. entirety of last season. Yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to for Manchester United uh, fans. They're at home against uh, Swansea. You'd worry um, about Swansea now. Yeah, they've lost uh, Michu, Vorm has gone to Spurs, Chico Flores has gone to Qatar, who I see at club in Qatar, who are managed by Michael Laudrup. <laughs> um, but uh, the fact that he's gone I'm sure Big Sam Allardyce will be pretty pleased about all that uh, I mean, they not have really made to hold on to Wilfred Boney which was a big coup for yeah. the moment obviously they'll be desperately hoping that August is it August 31st this year yeah. come, runs around as quickly as possible because they lose him they are definite relegation fodder for me uh, a huge amount depends season. on whether they keep Boney and you mentioned the players gone there was a problem at the end of last season there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes with the Spanish players where they were sitting by themselves at lunch and obviously that's not good everyone has to be integrated at lunchtime but there was Chico Flores threatening to throw bricks at the manager which is never a good sign Gary Monk mm. is has pretty zero experience well everyone thought he was gone level. everyone thought he was everyone coming in for a few months and, this guy, and, and he signed up pretty quickly Swansea signed him up pretty quickly at the end of last season the hope is that having worked under some really good managers uh, in Michael Laudrup in Brendan Rodgers uh, been there under Roberto Martinez that he's picked up a little 
from all these guys. He'd really want to have and because now he's he can just so callow. And they've lost Ben Davies as well. He's a real brilliant fullback. And they've, they've lost uh, and he's only twenty one. Like it's terrible for them they haven't managed to hold on to him. And yeah, he went to Tottenham as did Michel Vorm. There's very little that you can take positively well, from Swansea's Guilty Sigurdsson is back and they signed uh, Gomis from Leon on a free transfer so maybe if Boney does go he can supply them with a few yeah. goals. It'll be interesting to see how Boney and uh, Gomis get on. Uh, nice bit of physicality for that uh, United defence. So that is uh, United against Swansea. Um, that's the 12.45 kick-off on Saturday. Then at uh, 3 o'clock we're going to scoot through some of these pretty quickly. Leicester City against Everton. Leicester ran away with the Championship last season and it seems as if there's uh, they're going about that sort of Southampton sustainability there's been no boom and bust approach necessarily certainly no uh, boom in the transfer market from a Leicester point of view and in Everton it's the signing of Lukaku which a lot of the Everton fans are hanging their hat on this year as well as a couple of other additions Christian Atsu um, and it seems as if Roberto Martinez is building and building well He's. I'll say I would disagree completely their big problem last season was lack of strength and depth. When they went ahead of Arsenal in that run, it was a six consecutive wins. Mm. They only won once in the remaining games of the season because they simply just couldn't cope with what was being asked of them and what Arsenal were throwing at them when Arsenal went on a run of their own. Their only signing all summer has been Mohamed Besic because Gareth Barry and Lukaku were not signings. They were already there. Well, they signed Christian Atsu from, uh, on from a loan. It's a loan signing from, uh, from Chelsea. Yeah, he's a young full-back. Mm. I mean, what, what, he's only 21. Little or no Premier League experience. You don't know what you're going to get from him. The Bosnian Besic looks like he could be a good player because he was in the World Cup. I just think that Everton haven't done anything in terms of actually improving on what they managed to achieve they last season. They had quite season. a few injuries last season though and even when you looked at their bench there was still always four or five guys to come off. Obviously Aidan McGeady was one of those. Stephen Naismith is a quality player who Morales was on the was bench a lot of time. Morales, Darren Gibson kind of back fit. Darren Gibson will be back. But I don't think they've, they've more strength and depth now than they had last season. Possibly not but the advantage to their signings of Lukaku and Barry is whereas most clubs when you buy players you're not quite sure how they're going to settle. They've spent 28 million quid on Romelu Lukaku and know exactly what they're getting and know you're guaranteed 15, 16 minimum Premier League goals. It's not an addition, though. No. It's not in addition to last season. It's not somebody helping Romelu Lukaku add to the 15 goals he got last no, season. No, but I mean, it's a mat look. It's, I, I, this, this is kind of a... Yeah, it's a bit of like sort of the argument that would be settled at the end of the season about the quality of the signing for Lukaku. Um, it's kind of a just a semantic argument Outside of that, uh, 16 goals for them on loan last season. The uh, record signing for them. Now, it's not the all a semantic argument in that case. What's the point in having the conversation? No, but it's a semantic argument whether you know people talk about. Well, is it a new signing? Is it doesn't really matter. No, he's a great. He's great to have him. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm just saying that they finished fifth last season, and all of the teams around them have improved. Well, they've I just added don't. Atsu, who can play a bit forward. They've added Besic. But if you were at the start of the season, if two weeks ago, if I'd said to you, Everton have signed Besic and Atsu, you wouldn't have had a clue who they were. These lads are mm. nobodies. I mean, you're hoping for an awful lot from them. They have a very strong starting well, eleven, And, they, then and they, they did last three, season. And then they've three uh, yeah, or four I would players. Agree. And they're and, going and to be playing... And they're still top six, top seven material. League. That is another thing we haven't even mentioned. They have to deal with that as well. I just think that they haven't gone forward and they have to play in additional games now. It's great that they're building and the club, I think it's a brilliant football club. I love being at Goodison Park. There's few better places to actually go. And they've given Roberto Martin, is it a five-year contract they've given? Coleman, um, Stones, Barkley have all penned long-term deals. Which mean absolutely nothing. 
it, which is great for the long term, but in terms of improving on last season, mm. means nothing. Mm. That'll be the, that's the main point that I would have. Their ambition is to play Champions League football. I think starting this season, they're further from that now than they were 12 months ago. Unless Roberto Martinez is such a good manager, and we've been really impressed with him, that over the summer, he's come up with a game plan, and just his managerial brilliance will keep them where they well, were last season. Uh, it's a real straw in the wind that, you're cl- that the Everton fans will be clinging to on that one. Um, yeah, so look, that's Leicester City against Everton. Uh, they played a pre-season friendly in Bangkok three weeks ago, bizarrely. Uh, both of them have Asian uh, connections. of some Leicester have so. Everton, Chelsea and Arsenal in their first three games. It's, it's a very awkward start for them. Leicester won that game 1-0, Dave, so don't be so pessimistic about it. <laughs> we're going to uh, start reading things into pre-season <laughs> friendlies. Granted, it uh, was probably the Everton uh, third team, but there we go. That's one of the three o'clock games. Then it's uh, QP up against Hull City uh, QPR obviously one of the promoted uh, teams fourth in their relegation season in the championship 22 points behind Leicester and seem to have been pretty busy adding far more numbers in defence than they could possibly need particularly given the fact that they played three at the back uh, QPR well they play three centre backs so yeah. they want Stephen Calker is a really good signing um, I'm surprised Spurs ever let him go to Cardiff mm-hmm. a couple of years ago Ferdinand <laughs> Will he play every game? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of alternates between Ferdinand and Richard Dunn. I wouldn't be convinced in any way by Richard Dunn in the Premier League. I will, You would want a flat back five with Richard Dunn yeah. there. I think he will be screwed by well, so I many think that's teams one, of, one, one of the previews I was reading this week says that uh, Ferdinand is less mobile than before. Deploying two more nimble centre-backs around him will ignite sexy continental football. But, you know, I don't know where these nimble uh, centre-backs are, really, is the point. Stephen Calker's Calker 22, is obviously. a big man. He's a superb centre-half. I wouldn't st- describe him as a, at the type of central defender. A Rio Ferdinand, a young Rio Ferdinand. Mm. I wouldn't describe Stephen Calker as a young Rio Ferdinand. He was excellent for Cardiff last season. Yeah, I think they're really going to struggle at the back. Mauricio Isla is a pretty interesting signing. He was a starter in all four games for Chile at the World Cup. And they still have Loic Remy on the books. What is the story with him? Is he going to play for them? Well, that changes everything between now and the end of the transfer window. If he was to stay, now there's talk again of Spurs possibly an interest with him. They Clearly, he wants to leave, but I don't understand why QPR don't seem why to be they making any to effort yeah. to keep him. Unless there's some clause in his contract that he suddenly has to get 150 grand a week or something. Yeah. But even still, I would pay it because if Liverpool are after him, if Spurs are after him, this is a guy who is clearly, and he's proven it, in every season he's had so far, mm. that he will score a load of goals. And if he stays, QPR stay up. If he goes... Well, perhaps he might be uh, you know, persuaded to stay by the fact that Harry Redknapp has added Len Hoddle to the coaching staff at QPR over the last yeah, little while. Sure and he looks at a guy like that and thinks, you know... Big impact on Luke Remy. And apart from Hoddle, else, the man has been out of the game for, what, the best part of 10 years? Also, Harry Redknapp has waited for a week before the start of the season to bring Glenn Hoddle in. That seems kind of bizarre. There's a lot of bizarre things going on at Redknapp. Like he said he would have retired if they hadn't won the playoff final. They were blessed to win the playoff <laughs> final. That would suggest to me that if they get relegated he this season... He said he would have retired? Yes. Really? If they hadn't won that game. And that would suggest to me that he's going to retire if they get relegated this season. So he knows he's heading off into the sunset anyway. They won four games the year they were relegated. And last season they finished 22 points behind Leicester. And they lost they 10 have... times on the road last season. In the championship. They haven't really see look like a team that have made dramatic improvements to their squad. Speaking of uh, bizarre occurrences, the uh, West Brom against Sunderland, the new West Brom head coach, as I see he's been called, we, Alan we, Irvine. We never mentioned Hull there. We didn't. Minus for, Shane Long. Yeah, we didn't for very good Hull reason, Hull will be Dave. fine. 
Uh, we'll um, <laughs> That's sure always spend Hull. far too much time talking about Hull over the course of the season. Uh, the new West Brom head coach, Alan Irvine, uh, one-year rolling contract. And speaking of people who've been out of the game for a while, he's not had a full job since he was at Sheffield Wednesday. It's February 2011. It's uh, three and a half years ago, and he was sacked by a club in League One. West Brom are in a very difficult situation. Nobody wanted that job, clearly. They have to answer. The manager has to... Well, he's not even the manager. He's their head coach. They wouldn't give him a proper deal. He has to answer to a director of football. Tim Sherwood clearly didn't want the job. And they were blessed. never a good sign. They were blessed to stay last season. What? They won one game between November and March. What what the hell was Tim Sherwood, by the way, to just go off on a slight tangent? What... What is he? What is he? Do? Anybody know what he's doing himself now that well, he's Tim's had to? Tim's reputation is at now, despite the abuse we like to he? give him here. Tim's reputation is quite good after that. Yeah. Role in Tottenham, he's in the spotlight. He obviously went in and thought, "I'm on a hiding to nothing if I go to West Brom." He, the best he you can hope risk for his is entire managerial career on this job. That is that. That was would have been his thought process. But who's going to? I mean, who else is going to offer Tim? Somebody Palace. will. Crystal Palace might. Adrian, offer the chances are seven or eight of the current managers in situ and I include Pulis, that's one gone already, will be gone by the end of December. There will be a job offer. You would imagine that it will be far better than the one on offer at West Bromwich Albion, where if he went in now, he could be one of the seven or eight managers sacked by December. I I can see exactly why he wouldn't take the job. If I was an owner of a Premier League club, which is highly unlikely, watching the way he carried himself last season, I wouldn't be rushing... uh, But do you know what he does? He creates a lot of controversy and a lot of attention, and it's the Roy Keane factor on a lower level. But Sky cameras make sure... Tim Sherwood was, and we spoke about him as much as any other manager at the end of the la- of last season. And owners love that; they he, love having the focus. The things on their that clubs. the owners don't love is that he was creating friction between himself and the Spurs board at every possible opportunity, well, and he was talking a lot of shit about himself. No, but non-stop. he had to do that because he knew he wasn't going to stay on for this season. So, but if he I'm, had if nothing I'm, if to I'm, lose. Ultimately, my point is, if I'm a club owner and I'm looking at somebody that I, I'm not going to get in an agitator who has done nothing but bitch and moan about the previous guys that he's been working for. During the summer when they've got three months to prepare for a new season the mindsets of club owners and chairpersons are very different. When you get to December and they're in the bottom three they become very desperate. So Tim Sherwood is, is not the guy to the turn to. When you're look, desperate. Adrian, listen, that's the likes when the likes of Paolo Di Canio and Pepe Mel get jobs. When you you're looking Pepe at Mel it going how is this guy their, their number one target? Tim will get a job at one, some yeah, stage. and he's a young guy full of energy who might be perfectly suited to coming in at that stage of the he's season. full of something And right. he, he did some incredibly stupid and naive things at Spurs. He'll have learned. So but what you're saying is he'll be co- he'll, he'll all of a sudden it'll be, it'll be Look, Tim talking, Sherwood version 2. Why are we talking about two? Tim Sherwood? He's not, he doesn't have the job. We're not allowed we're to talk, talk about Hull we're talking about but West we are allowed to talk about I mean, Tim Sherwood. The Tim Sherwood conversation um, is actually I did say we were going on a tangent. They spent 10 million on a Nigerian striker who is going to have to score 20 goals this season because they're not coming anywhere else he's got goals in France and Ukraine but we talked about Norwich from start to finish last season West Brom are the new Norwich because their last five games are at home to Liverpool and Arsenal and away to Manchester United Newcastle and Chelsea if they don't have enough points on the board heading into May yeah. they're gone look at the, that, that argument is kind of we, we spoke a bit about it last season sorry that, that argument is, kind of, is what ultimately we have no idea where any of those clubs are going to be <laughs> at that point of the season one of them might be 10 points clear at the top of the table and not give a rat's arse there were a lot of clubs not giving a rat's arse that were playing Norwich uh, in the last not, five games and they lost not, every not single a huge one amount, not a huge amount Liverpool would have been one of them at one point I think who would definitely so you, you're telling interest. me that that Run-in is irrelevant. I, ultimately, we can't well, say when we that. Get to, we when we get to April, it'll be very that. relevant. Well, but we were talking about this running for Norwich by November last we were, season. But, I mean, but ultimately, it's still the same point. That we just don't know how relevant it is until we actually get there. Because, like, if one but of the So clubs, that shouldn't be borne in mind, is what you're saying. 
it's no point talking about it at the start of the season. Absolutely not. So no, is that why? worth mentioning like, even? Are, do you think that, that Alan Irvine, who we have not, not a great deal about, uh, he has had since June to plan for this, so at least he's had a Yeah, few he months. has to take it game by but game. I we can't don't, imagine. Though. problem for Alan Irvine is he's obviously a very good coach. Whether or not he's a good manager and whether or not he's comfortable sitting in front of the media every Friday and after every match and whether he can say the right thing when the results don't go well is another question. I think we've been talking about West Brom Sunderland via Tim Sherwood for the last five minutes. That is plenty. Why Stokes, do they sack Steve Clark? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> Stokes you go City back to? against Aston Villa at the uh, Britannia. Uh, Villa's pre-season consisted of a 3-1 loss to Sheff- uh, Chesterfield, thumped 4-1 by Granigan, and then uh, drawing 0-0 with Parma. They did beat Walsall of League One uh, by goal to nil. And I know and I think you're not a big fan of the pre-season. You can't read anything into it. Doesn't bode well, I would uh, well, suggest for the. Uh, what weeks. I would be more concerned about in the summer is Aston Villa's signings policy. It is bizarre of all the clubs. Joe Cole has done nothing for four or five years. Ali Sissoko was a flop at Liverpool. Yeah. Philippe Senderos doesn't inspire any confidence for anybody. And then they brought back Darren Bent and Alan Hutton because essentially nobody wants to buy them for the price that Villa want. And. They've nobody else. They've no money to spend. So now Hutton is almost certainly going to start tomorrow. Bent, I'm not sure if he'll be in the starting eleven. Decent players, but have had their conf- They know that Paul Lambert doesn't actually want them there. But put it this way: Aston Villa have made David Moyes and uh, Ed Woodward look like tactical transfer masterminds. When you compare United summer last season to Villa summer this season, it's a shocking list of names. Kieran that Richardson in. is their best signing. At 29, he's passed it. Philippe Senderos has clearly passed it. Joko, we don't even need to mention him. And Ali Sissoko is not at Liverpool for a reason, despite pining for a permanent deal from Valencia all through last season, talking about how desperate he was to convince Rodgers that he was supposed to be at Anfield. And then you've got an owner that doesn't want to be there, can't find someone to take the club off his hands. You've got a manager who now has Roy Keane breathing down his neck. They might lose Ron Vlaar. Christian Benteke has only started jogging on his return from his torn Achilles. I think Aston Villa are in savage state at the moment. They're in an awful spot. And they have three decent games at the start. Stoke, Newcastle and Hull before they have to visit Liverpool, Chelsea and Everton and host Arsenal and Manchester City. Last season's top five, one after another. shocking. Um, Yeah, like I suppose a lot of the questions around if if, uh, Paul Lambert is going to stay with Villa. uh, Paul Lambert will be gone before Christian Benteke plays a game. If they're going to stay with three at the back. I wouldn't bet against that. It's a... one area that I would argue, I'm sure I'm going to get some counterpoints here, that they actually have, in the context of the rest of their team, a little bit of strength. Uh, obviously, uh, Sandros arrival for, for whatever it is, uh, Vlar for as long as he stays, and uh, this Akore guy back from injury, 22-year-old uh, Denmark centre-back who shows a bit of promise. Granted, Sissoko wasn't given a deal at Liverpool, he wasn't given a, a deal. He was deal given a deal, he was given plenty at, of games. At Valencia. And John Flanagan took his place. Yeah, but I mean, look, Aston Villa have far, far less expectations than Liverpool. And if <coughs> maybe their he just expectations are is 16th place, or 17th place. I would well, say they, they haven't finished higher than 15th in the last three seasons. But presume Aston Villa's expectations, given the their transfer policy, as you've mentioned, are not much beyond that. But it should be more, because it's the third year that Paul Lambert's been in the job. After the, all those young guys were blooded two seasons ago when they kept them up, despite looking like they were doing for long periods, everyone thought Villa will kick on now. Promise. Those young guys they survive will, that they'll season, turn promise into how good are these substance. guys going to be next year? Exactly. That was the, what everybody was saying. It was disastrous for them. And they were blessed to stay up last season. One win in their last eight games. And though they were eight games apart from the last game when they were desperate to take something from it. 
they are three to one to get relegated. This was one of your favourite games one. of last season, wasn't it? Which one? Stoke Villa. Oh, it was. It was that the four one. One team started well and got hammered. I can't remember which Villa, it was. Villa, Villa, Villa scored. Was early it Stoke? Stoke, Stoke scored four, early. Or was it the other way around? I just can't you remember. You were there. Yes. <laughs> They, they, they did finish five points. They did have five points to spare in the end. I mean, it's not a, not a mountain. Actually, in the context of last season, they, it probably was. They a bit five of a points to spare, winning one of their last eight. Mm. This five points gap was nothing to do with them. Mm. The three clubs below them couldn't buy a win. Um, so yeah, so look at it. The three at the back business. Um, you know, you talk about people who don't want to be there. Ron Vlar clearly doesn't want to be there. Like I think three at the back kind of is uh, sort of predicated on the idea that you've got people who have the capability the capacity to play that you've got a player who doesn't want to be there question marks in so much as they are obviously over Senderos and then this Okore back from injury I don't know if Sissoko plays plays a part of that but he'd be presumably if they're playing three at the back Sissoko's the kind of wing back out on the left yeah. well they're a mess and they're up against the Tokes side they finished ninth last year and they have Bojan how good will he be I cannot wait to watch him regardless of whether he is the Bojan we hoped he would be at some stage well clearly he's not otherwise he wouldn't be playing with Stoke or is it going to be a disastrous season for him you talk about defence Stoke last season Peters Shawcross and Cameron played pretty much every yeah. single game So they and, and Begovic in goal so they had such a stable defence and they've bought reasonably well Phil Bardsley's more than likely going to come in at right back and Steve Sidwell, of the three teams that were relegated, he was probably the best player out of the three teams last season. He was certainly, by far and away, Fulham's outstanding player And Bartley player had a really season. good season with Sunderland. I mean, yeah. After being frozen out of the team, he came in and had a really good finish to the season. And they've the three lads you mentioned, Cameron Shawcross and um, Peters. Peters, they kept the three of them. And they kept yeah. Begovic. They never thought they were going to hold on to him as well. I think Stoke have a great chance of emulating what they achieved last season. Really looking forward to see how the working dynamic between Joe Cole and Roy Keane goes. He's the <laughs> yeah. absolute anti-Roy Keane. He's just his kind of player. But Roy Blitz Keane always bought the anti-Roy Keane. Yeah. There was all, Roy Keane's signing policy was also in, off the wall. Some of it was yeah. off the scale. Maybe yeah. he's pulling the transfer strings, who knows. Uh, one of the other games, the final of the three o'clock starts is West Ham United against Tottenham Hotspur. And I think you're going to be keeping an eye on this one on off the ball over Saturday afternoon. Uh, kind of interesting for me that uh, Pochettino hasn't, at least not yet anyway, brought any of his San- uh, Southampton players to Spurs. Possibly because, obviously, that, uh, <laughs> some of them have gone to Liverpool. But <laughs> Schneiderlin is still there. He obviously wants to get away. Jay Rodriguez is still there. Scored a lot of goals last season. Potentially he might dip back for those, but not yet. Yeah, of all the, uh, maybe not title contenders, but of Champions League contenders, Tottenham are the most difficult to predict because while most teams have their business done, Spurs don't. I was reading yesterday that there's still 11 players that they are willing mm. to get rid of, including a lot of last season signings. So it all depends. The next three weeks are going to be crucial. I think for Spurs to start the season, they just want to pick up points where possible until they get a settled starting eleven. The problem is they're playing Europa League as well. They've got a new manager in there. And it was... Pochettino went into a good situation at Southampton. They had a lot of young players who at the and time... a brilliant academy. Yeah, and who hadn't played for England yeah. at the time and there was no ego. Adam Lallana hadn't changed at this stage. So po- they were willing to listen <laughs> to Pochettino. Howard Whereas Webb. Tottenham have a group of players who you always get the impression a lot of them don't want to hear. Emmanuel Adebayor. He knows it all already. Mm. You'd be uh, worried if you were a Tottenham fan, wouldn't you? Because they're left with all the... He now has to work with last season signings that were brought in by Andrew Villas Boas. But are they Danny average? Levy. Maybe, well, maybe they weren't okay, given an let's opportunity. Ho- let's, from a Tottenham point of view, you hope that Chadley Capoue 
Paulinho. Lamella. Uh, well, he's gone, isn't he? Lamella is, is he he's gone. Lamella's on, he's on Lamella staying. He's, sta- he, <laughs> he's, he's staying. Be Chadley, Chadley could be leaving. If the lad walked into the studio now, I wouldn't know who he was. <laughs> who Lamella? Yes, he's going to be the new Gareth Bale. He's bulked up. Oh, he's right, got a manager okay. who's got uh, all this confidence in him. Okay, well, well, given was, that Lamella's going to be the new Gareth Bale, was it twenty-five million they paid for Lamella? Was I think it was more. I think it was thirty million. Look, I just don't think they've done anything during the summer, and I would have held on to Gilfie Sigerton. If I was Pochettino, well, I would have held on to him. He kind of plays in the same position as Christian Eriksen, and Eriksen, for the last two, three months of the season, was one of the he best players the in the Premier League. He was the only one of the guys that the bail money was spent on that actually achieved anything last season. He can create a lot, but who's he going to be creating it for? Ben Davies is a great sign. Um, and you would Kyle Walker, you would hope, will be fit and able to play the season. He missed pretty much the whole of the second half of last season. So there's positives and negatives from a ton of point of view. They've got an excellent manager. But and isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that they, like they went ahead with such a positive appointment of Pochettino, like which obviously lifts the club up. And like, and, and by the way, speaking about Lamella, two Argentinian guys apparently has bugged up a little bit. Do expect better from him this season. But anyway, that aside, so they go ahead and make this massively positive managerial appointment and do absolutely nothing else or very little. Well, when you've invested a hundred million yeah. pounds the summer before. And you've gone through two managers. You're basically, I presume when the discussions were happening with Pochettino, he was told exactly how much money he'd have. And he was told, these seven guys we bought last season for 100 million, Make them you work. have to turn these guys <laughs> into the <laughs> players we thought they were. And maybe he will. Yeah, But I mean, the players will. we thought they were, who were these lads? I've said it so many times since last summer's transfer window that if any of them walked into my front room, bar Christian Eriksen, when they were spending the bail money and they were getting so much praise about getting their business done quickly, I wouldn't have picked any of them out of, out of a line. Just because you're not watching BT late on a Saturday <laughs> night, keeping up with Italian football you know and French is, football. Nathan, you know Italian football. When's the last time you watched Ren play Toulouse um, in League well, uh. <laughs> let's do a Let's do a pre-season check-in here. West Ham lost six of their seven pre-season friendlies. Uh, they beat Sampdoria 3-2 uh, last weekend and you uh, s- expect as well that the heat maybe turns up a little bit All is not lost Teddy Sheridan has been appointed yeah. as an attack coach so um, they're Not quite one the of Glenn their, Hoddle appointment No One of the midfielders is in court um, their record signing is out for four months and the owners hate their manager Apart from that, and they, they hate are their, in great they, shape. They, they hate their, their record signing as well and want them out at the quickest They deserve uh, possible to have a terrible Andy season, Carr. the way the owners have behaved. And Sam Allardyce, he, he's never been the most popular figure. He's but, never been relegated either. Yes, but yeah, now he's now you do feel a lot of sympathy for him because... I do. Finished 13th last season. I think you want to, if you want to stay in the Premier League, you keep hold of him. He's just not a personality that engenders any sympathy. In he's a personality admit. that engenders Premier League status, though. When they sat down at the end of the season, he agreed to change and to go to more attacking style of football, which you do not... If you want an attacking style of football, get rid of Allardyce and get a different manager in. Allardyce has a way of playing that works. West Ham are moving to the Olympic Stadium in two seasons. Mm. If their owners have any sense... You keep Sam Allardyce, you stay in the Premier League, Sack be it 16th, then. 13th, yeah. whatever, until you get to the Olympic Stadium and you've got a huge, you've got 45, 50,000 people there every week, you've got loads more money coming in and that's the when you try 50, and push The 45, people on. every week, I don't understand that either. I mean, they don't sell out Upton Park any week. Where are they going to get 45 to 50,000 fans? Well, if you become more successful, if you, then you make your investments and you try and Maybe push 10 on years to, from now. But I agree. 10 years from you now. Hold, you keep, you, you keep, get, keep him to keep you in the league then maybe wipe the slate clean after that. I think West Ham will stay up because he's still the manager. If they sack him before Christmas, they're gone. Uh, West Ham against Tottenham at Upton Park. Arsenal against Crystal Palace is the late game on Saturday 5.45 at the Emirates. Uh, and the big news obviously arising out of this in the last little while is the departure of Tony Pulis. I was actually last night, I was sitting down to have a look at this game and it was about... 
I'll look in the direction of 8.30. And I started thinking, this is a really shrewd power play out of Tony Pulis here, that he makes this public that he's not happy with the transfer policy of the board. And ultimately, it's a win-win situation because he pisses off the board a little bit, but ultimately the public know that this wasn't the window I wanted. And then anyway, about two minutes later, the news comes through that Tony Pulis has bolted. This is bizarre stuff. It's a win-win for him anyway, I think. Mm. He would have picked up a huge bonus for keeping them in the Premier League. And now that he's shown how incredibly good he is, he will get another massive bonus in October or November. Can I ask a question here in Bill O'Hurley's style? Why would he not have hung around... Right, if, If this is the way he felt, I've been hung out to dry here, you're not giving me the players that I want. So look... Make it public that I'm leaving. I'm going in two weeks, I'm going in three weeks, I'm going in a month. You've got that time to find someone else. Would that not reflect, reflect a little better on him? And ultimately, it wouldn't have mattered greatly what the results were. He's probably ter- very angry and doesn't feel that he owes the club anything. He doesn't owe the club anything. He That's certainly doesn't owe them hanging around for a month so they can get somebody else in. I would have thought that would have reflected quite well in him. Maybe he doesn't give a He doesn't need to be. A bit he, of good, he is a bit basking of goodwill. in a very is that saying a bit of goodwill? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love a bit of goodwill. <laughs> you like you're a fan of the goodwill. Look, he's basking in the reflection of what happened last season. I think Tony Pulis will get another club, probably a bigger club than Crystal Palace, around about October well, November. he's missed the boat with Newcastle. We all thought that, that one. Uh, might happen at some point over the summer well I think he will end up in, uh, making another couple of million pounds later this season yeah and this hasn't come from nowhere there have been problems with yeah. Pulis even well, before the end of last season you know, there were I was at problems. Sellers Park January, tonight January. of the Palace-Liverpool match and all the talk then was that Pulis was definitely going to go at the end of the season but you can understand why they've made pretty much what have they spent two million quid just over a million on Martin Kelly, who I saw on Sky Sports News yesterday saying, yeah, I'm really excited to be heading down to Sellers Park to work with Tony Pulis. <laughs> they signed Fraser Campbell. They've got Breda Hangeland on a free transfer. But when you look at the likes of Hull spending 8 million on Robert Snodgrass, you see Everton spending 28 million. There's so much money floating around the mm. Premier League yeah. that you can understand why, okay, you don't want to bankrupt the club, but you have to invest. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the only problem, the flip side of all that is that you got to know to invest wisely, quite clearly. And in the same window last season, granted under a different manager, obviously, in the Holloway, uh, they spent £10 million on one player who was Dwight Gale. Uh, well, most of that, at least. Uh, striker who played 25 games and he scored six goals in the league. Yeah, Any time I, I saw him, I thought I he wouldn't was slag off Dwight Gale. I six think goals in okay. 25 games for a £10 million signing. He, he, but, I thought I mean, he, the price tag wasn't his fault. He came from Darlington. Do you know, that Why is, were they paying? It wasn't quite the tram million, it was the guts of it. And I'm sure that will rise up as the years go on if he achieves things. Mm. I wouldn't that's I wouldn't be overly critical of that because I, I think he could be very good. Some of the spending that Tony Pulis made when he was at Stoke, where they spent a lot of money on players, uh Tunshai and guys like this. Ida Johnson. Did they spend a lot of money on Ida Johnson? No, they would have got him in a free. Well they spent I think they were the fifth or sixth highest spenders over the last five seasons, Stoke. And maybe didn't get the returns on that, so maybe that was why Steve Barsh didn't want to give him a load of cash. All yeah. the the developments yesterday it was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, I think it's turned Crystal Palace from being a side that can develop into a side that will snap your hand off again for 17th position. Uh, on the other side of that, uh, Arsenal in pretty good shape this time last year. They were being rubbished for making this derisory 40 million plus one for uh, Luis Suarez. Uh, they obviously did get Ozil um, in the end. It's going to be interesting to see uh, from an Ozil point of view this season. I mean, he was pretty much rubbished, particularly um, uh, last season. He was out of form. Uh, after, after obviously, an initial sort of decent spell, second half of the season, he was fatigued, wasn't in great shape. He's going to be rested, I think, a little bit over the first uh, few weeks after the World Cup, obviously. But a uh, make-or-break season for Ozil? He's, he's with better. He's 
got better players around him now. Maybe somebody... They only had Olivier Giroud, who is a very, very good striker, but not at the top level. So maybe if he has Sanchez there as well, creating a bit more space for him. He played a lot of games at the start of last season, and he looked he faded rapidly. Yeah, so he looked very tired. He, he didn't have an outstanding World Cup either. Of all the German players... He's not one of them coming back with his reputation overly enhanced. No, he from didn't. The it World wasn't Cup. a good World Cup at all for him. They've paid a lot of money for Callum Chambers, who was probably one of the lesser lights of all the big money signings that Southampton lost this summer in terms of Lalana and Luke Shaw and Snyderland. Obviously, he wants to go to Tottenham. Um, Ricky Lambert was a five million Liverpool paid for him to go to Anfield. Obviously, Matthew Debussy is probably a good signing. I've seen him play for Newcastle, left back, and he'll solve the left back problem, you would hope, if he's fit. But they're still relying on Mertesacker and Koscielny at the back. But and Mark that would Sacker, worry me a really? little. Well, it would, because Lauren Koscielny is, he has turned out to be a very consistent defender, but he cannot avoid the crazy moments once every five or six games. I just wonder, have they improved enough at the back? Because I think they have elsewhere. I would feel that Arsenal centre-back partnership is kind of like Liverpool centre-back partnership in that the problem isn't the two centre-backs. The problem is what's directly in front of them in that there's no protection and that would be my one concern for Arsenal because the signings they've made are all going to add to the, either the first 11 or in or around. They're all going to play a lot of games. And someone's making the point during the week that if you called Arsenal Manchester United, they would probably be the favourites for the title. It's just there's something ingrained now that mentality, Arsenal are going to blow this on stage. I don't know. Lads, I can't, I can't believe how you're shitting all over Arsenal's parade. Of all the times to be doing it, like they're the FA Cup champions, they're just after beating Manchester City in the Community Shield. They've made some interesting additions uh, to their squad. It's going to be interesting to see how Debussy, obviously, uh, Chambers, Sanchez, um, all made their debuts at the weekend. And for my money, there's... Probably like never before, certainly in recent years, a real sense of optimism. About well, we're raining on the parade in terms of a chat, chat about them being champions. I'm not, I wouldn't I question think they their could, top I think four they credibility. Quite, they could go quite close again. I, I do just worry about the centre of midfield. Now, they have a lot of central midfielders. If Jack Wiltshire becomes the player that people thought he would, then they could challenge for the title if he becomes this dominating central midfielder. But at the moment, again, Mikel Arteta has been made captain for this season. Arteta is not good enough to be playing for a team that wants to win the league. He's an average 100 passes a game guy. Mm. He's not getting stuck into tackles. 100 compare- passes a game, I would have thought was pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Most of them no, are sideways but, and backwards. Yeah, it's, it's Joe Allen. It's, <laughs> exactly, he's that yeah. kind of player. But look, it, what, picture the Everton game when they were destroyed and they were clearly devoid of any mentality, any character, any grit. Look at the list of names that have been brought in. Some real quality there. But do any of them affect those characteristics? Not, I, I, I don't think so. And Wilshire, I think, is sums up Arsenal's problem in that he think character for Wilshire is running around and getting into a fight. I mean, pictured smoking. That's that's not character. Character is when when you are in trouble, as there were so many times last season, getting on the ball and doing the right thing constantly, and just making sure, it, just dominating in the middle of midfield. You look at Nemanja Matic, Fernandinho, Arsenal don't have somebody of that calibre mm. in, in the centre. Yeah. Um, will be interesting to have a look at Sanchez and see how he goes. As I feel there's a kind of similar debate uh, with him as there was about Mata uh, last season. Where should he play? Ultimately, maybe he can play a few different positions and we all get on with life. He can play. He played, I think, wide on the right, coming up, uh, playing just off Sonogo. In the Community Shield final, the potential, obviously, if personnel changes a little bit, which it will over the next few weeks in terms of players coming back, he plays a little bit more centrally, perhaps. But ultimately, he'll probably end up playing 
a whole heap of these positions over the season. Yeah, just behind Giroud, I'd imagine, to start well. They will start Ozil well, won't they? They'll win a lot of games before November and not December. Everyone will talk they about the They might add Cavani champions. yet. They could add Cavani. It's and hard then to look past those beatings they took. It is very difficult. That's why I wouldn't be backing them to win. If they add Cavani, change your mind? No, it wouldn't because he won't change the lack of spirit that was clearly there last season. Okay, I, just, I, I ultimately think the, the FA Cup can be a bit of a watershed for them. But anyway, look, at only time will tell. The FA Cup, they were blessed to win. Sunday, uh, we've our two live games. The first one is Southampton. Uh, Liverpool against Southampton, as we heard uh, at the start of the podcast, as opposed to the other way around. So uh, some big news, obviously, from there last night. I'm delighted to say to discuss a little bit about uh, Southampton, which we will be doing. Uh, we'll pick a club each week and uh, talk a little bit about them with somebody who knows what they're talking about, apart to, uh, from us three bluffers. I'm delighted to say that uh, Gordon Simpson of the Southern Daily Echo joins us on the line. Gordon, just interested about Chen Long's signing and how exactly he's going to fit into this team. I think he'll go well. I think he's uh, quite a shrewd signing from Southampton's point of view. He, he fits quite well into the system that they've got there. Um, hopefully they'll create a few more chances than his, his two previous clubs, Hull and West Brom, have as well. So with any luck, his goal-scoring record will improve slightly. But I think he brings the sort of um, the energy levels that, that they really need for the person playing that lone striker's role. So I think he'll fit in quite well. There was a lot of written and discussed last season about Southampton's style of play and the players that they had to play that style. There's been a lot of changes, as mentioned. Is it foreseen that Ronald Coleman is going to drastically change the Southampton that we've been used to looking at over the last 12, 24 months? Well, obviously, there has been a lot of upheaval. So in terms of the personnel, it's going to have changed quite significantly. But um, in terms of the style, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, Koeman's keen on playing an attractive, attacking style of football, um, not a totally dissimilar formation to what Pochettino used as well um, I mean it remains to be seen how you know quite how similar it's going to be and whether the the sort of high intensity high pressing game that they played last season will be as evident this time around but I, I think that they're planning on, on having a sort of fairly similar approach. There's been a lot of focus on the negative stories at Southampton over the last while the sale of all those players obviously to their opponents uh, for this Sunday but a pretty exciting prospect as well in the shape of uh, Dusan Tadic potentially um, may have been the best player in Holland last year. Have you seen much of him or what do you expect from this guy? Yeah, we've seen quite a bit of him in pre-season and I think that, like you said, I mean, he's pretty much head and shoulders the best player out in Holland for the last couple of years. Um, so I think they feel they've got a real good one in, in him. I mean, he's, he's very talented technically, you know, extremely good. He's got a good left foot on him. Um, it looks like he's going to create a lot of opportunities for the players around him and hopefully chip in with a few goals as well. I mean, we need to see obviously how he's going to translate into the Premier League, but what we've seen in pre-season so far, it looks like a very handy player. So I think he's he's the one that going into the season, a lot of people around Southampton are, are most excited about. Just finally, Gordon, to get a sort of fix on the expectation levels at Southampton this season. I mean, last year it looked as if potentially they were, if they'd continued to build on the point that they were at, European football wasn't, Champions League football might not have been a million miles away. What are the expectations around Southampton for the season? I think everyone's pretty realistic that obviously after such a lot of change this summer that it's going to be hard to, you know, be quite as good as they were last season. But you know, I don't think outside the, the top seven or so clubs in, in the league that there's you know really much to fear again so I think they'd do very well to get 8th place again but I think anywhere around sort of 10th to 12th would be a pretty solid season for them and give them something from which they can build on next summer and, and with the players that they've brought in I mean I don't think that's a, a completely unrealistic uh, 
position for them. So I think with everything that's happened this summer, everybody would just hope for a season of, of keeping out of relegation trouble, consolidating, and then hopefully giving Cooman a chance to build even further on it in a year's time. Gordon, hopefully we'll catch up with you later on in the season. Thanks a million for your time today. No problem. Cheers, Adrian. Bye. Yeah, interesting times ahead, lads, for uh, Southampton. Uh, Shane Long's arrival, everyone's completely unsure about him, but as Dave mentioned about somebody earlier on in the podcast, uh, the price tag isn't his doing. No, and I think if you're a midfielder, you love to see Shane Long coming because he's a forward who turns bad balls into good balls. The problem is, if you're a striker, you're solely judged on goals, and Shane Long has never scored enough of them, and he he wastes too many opportunities and we know this more than anyone from watching in international games and seeing him waste three, four chances Robbie Keane comes back into the side next time and takes the first chance that comes his way it's, I think it's a good move for Shane Long uh, regardless of the price tag um, Yeah, for him it's great and ultimately I mean this could be well it would need to be a bit of a career changer for him there's a club obviously who quite clearly want him I mean we are quite close to the start of the season and maybe they were getting a little bit desperate but that aside he signed a four year deal a manager who Regardless of the realities of buying Shane Long, there's obviously a couple of weeks to the end of the transfer window, so it wasn't a complete panic buy. Uh, a manager who clearly wants him, and a manager as well who's obviously, as we spoke a little about with Gordon, like having to put his own stamp on the team and perhaps build it uh, around him. And uh, yeah, a couple, like, couple of interesting signings as well. Obviously, this guy Dusan Tadic, uh, perhaps the best player in Holland last season, 16 goals, the fourth highest scorer in the league, 14 assists, more than any other player. And Ronald Coleman already starting to put a bit of his own stamp on it. Here's what I think with Southampton. If they had done the right thing and sold Luke Shaw for 31.5 million and sold Adam Lallana for 23 million and got 55 million quid in. If they'd done that and then they bought Tadic and Forster and Graziano Pelle and Shane Long and got Ryan Bertrand on loan, I'd be thinking, what a transfer window for this side. They've made a load of money. They've made about 20 million quid and they've improved their squad and maybe they could go on and push on for top six, maybe challenge Everton with Everton in the Champions League. Instead, they've blown it completely by flogging everybody, and they've essentially ruined the club. I think they'll survive. I don't think they'll be relegated because they still have good enough players left. But they just made a complete mess of this transfer window. Yeah, but I mean, look, the reality is that Southampton are not a club that... I mean, in fairness, they've obviously come up through the divisions and they've shown the ambition to do that. But ultimately, they're always going to be a team who sell their best players. And the other side of their argument is that, you know, you talk about maybe having you know, they sold four of their key players and the potential that they could have kept two of them. But ultimately, from the players' point of view themselves... They're not going to hang around. When the Liverpools come calling, they are gone. Yeah, but for it all to happen in the one go is disappointing. And then you expect the money to be invested wisely. And they haven't really managed to do that. They won't get the goals for Shane Long. Well, it's not like they're they replacing Shane Long with Ricky Lambert. I mean, they're similar enough in terms of their... Um, well, Lambert got, Lambert got 17 goals last season, something like that. In all competitions, yeah. yeah. And he got, well, he got 15 in the league the, the year before. But they're, they're not wildly differing in terms of their overall standards. I mean, I just don't think they've lost a huge amount in getting rid of Lambert and buying Shane Long. It's at the back where they've lost a lot and in midfield because Adam Lallana is obviously just a brilliant player and Jay Rodriguez, he, he needs to go over his crucial knee ligament injury. Schneiderlin clearly doesn't want to be there. You've got a brand new manager that has to deal with all that entails becoming into the Premier League. I, it's really disappointing because they look like a team that could really just upset a lot of people in the Premier League. doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Yeah, not a huge amount of time here, lads. We do want to chat a little bit about Liverpool, obviously, as well. And how they cope with Luis Suarez is the big thing that everybody's been asking themselves over the last little while. It will be, I mean, they have a style that they play, and that's obviously not going to change. But uh, within that, 
it's going to be interesting to see how... I, I think we get a clearer picture of how good a uh, player Daniel Sturridge, uh, for example, this season is. Well, we already know, I think, how good a player Daniel Sturridge is. He scored context, 22 goals yeah, in 29 the, games last yeah, season. But my point is that the guy who was there scoring 30 goals alongside him and being creative as well, like it's just it's a very different dynamic when you take that out of the team. Yeah, but, the problem for Liverpool is they scored over 100 goals last season. You can't see them replicating that. The question is, they conceded just over 50. Can they bring that down as well? I watched uh, their preseason friendly against Borussia Dortmund, and they were outstanding. It, it, it was as if Suarez wasn't missed yeah, at all because the, it's the same the style it still works ultimately yeah and I think it'll be good enough to beat the vast majority of teams perhaps Brendan Rodgers has spent the summer coming up with a plan B I heard Ian Rush on off the ball the other night saying I think we do now have a plan B and a plan C I don't see from the signings what that is they've bought a lot of very similar players mm. people I saw Ricky Lambert a number of times last season and he's not your traditional number nine English number nine He a lot of the time for Southampton he kind of drifted out to the wings it, he wasn't just a target man so I'm wondering is that where Liverpool are going to play him as well that Sturridge will play down the middle and Lambert right, do you see him starting many games I presume he'll play a lot of league games he's just he's obviously not he's not going to play many Champions League games for example if Markovic if Alexander Markovic can, can settle quickly and they play Sturridge in the middle and Sterling and Markovic off him Liverpool yeah. could score a huge, well, could score a lot yeah, of goals. Markovic again. isn't an out and out goal scorer. Five goals from 40 games for Benfica last season. They're not going to come from there. Yeah, but he's, a, again, Raheem Sterling showed huge improvement with his goal scoring, and Rodgers looks to be capable of that. We, we all thought before last season, oh, if Raheem Sterling could finish, what a player he'd be. And then as the season went on, he learned to finish. Mm. So I'm maybe not quite as pessimistic about Liverpool as a lot of people are. I think Rodgers has shown that he's a top quality manager. They were so there's there's a feeling that what happened in that run at the end of last season was a freak. That it just everything went in their favour. Perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps Rodgers is actually onto something. I don't think they win the league. I do think they will finish in the top four. Yeah, I think they'll regress from last season, but I they would be among my favourites to finish in the top four. I don't know where you replace the goals from. Sturridge was excellent in the opening six games of last season when Suarez was suspended. Then they played beautifully together and in the days where Sturridge was injured, Suarez obviously was well capable of doing it on his own. Lalana needs to hit the ground running. I think he will. I hope he doesn't turn into another Joe Allen. And interesting to see what the likes of Markovic brings. Lambert, I don't know how they're going to use him. Jared will not be as good this season, I don't that think. That is the one massive concern on about Arsenal. Liverpool don't have a defensive midfielder. They brought this mm. guy, Emery Chan. But in pre-season, Gerrard is still the furthest player back. Mm. And that would be a big worry. And I think we might see in Monday week when they play Manchester City that that's, it's did those Gerard, games that Did Gerrard not improve in that position as the season went on last year? I mean, it's not a well, position saying, that he's especially I, he, I don't used think to. he'll have as good a season this season as he did last season. Last really? season he was fit for every game uh, bar that hamstring yeah. trouble he picked up in November. And I just think he's 34 now. And they need the same thing from him again this season because there's literally nobody else in the squad that can do that, play that role well. Lucas, I definitely wouldn't want him in there. Jordan Henderson has to provide a season similar to the one he did last. Despite the signings, I still think they have to rely on the same guys reaching the same incredible levels as they did last season. Sterling needs to develop further. I know there are Liverpool supporting friends of mine that are backing him to be the Premier League's top scorer, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. Because he's big odds. I think he's 16-1. to Mm, But are you going to get the same from him this season? Look, they're all the questions we've we've to ask of every club in pre-season. They will not be contending for the title like they were in this last campaign, but I think they're definitely good enough to be like top four. 
The problem with Gerard isn't that he's the furthest player back, is that he's the furthest player back because he's looking to create constantly. Mm. You need somebody in that position or around there, maybe back with him, whose sole thought is, how do I protect my defence? That never comes into Gerard's mind at all. Mm. So that's why they concede so many goals. It's not like there's a reason why Daniel Agger, if he leaves, will go to one of the best clubs in the world because he's a good centre back. The reason they looked poor last season was because they had zero protection in front of them. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. Look, my point would be that <clears throat> he's another 12 months under his belt playing that position and maybe he understands it a little bit better and maybe his mindset starts to change. He's getting that bit older. He's not going to be marauding up the pitch. He's got to be thinking He'll he's, he's going to operate. Steven Gerrard, he will always be marauding up the pitch. <laughs> Newcastle against Manchester City. That's live and off the ball, by the way, from uh, half past one on Sunday. Nathan is there alongside no, not. Kevin Kilbane. I'm not going to be there. Huh? On Newcastle, Manchester City. <laughs> what? I'll be alongside Kenny Cunningham for Newcastle Manchester. No, I was referring back to the last game. Pay attention. Let's keep up. Uh, Nathan and Kevin Kilban. It's the A team at uh, Anfield, and then Newcastle against Manchester City. Dave, uh, yourself and Kenny Cunningham uh, will be at this one. And a little bit of rebuilding, obviously, at Manchester City uh, over the last little while. Fernando uh, is one of those that comes in a little bit different, obviously, from your Yaya Torres, uh, Fernandinho as well. And um, like in terms of that player that sits a bit deeper, he'll probably fulfil that role and. Allow those two to get forward. I mean, in terms of the greater con- uh, conversation about who are going to be the champions this season, with the little bit of building that Manchester City have done, it's hard to move away from them. Yeah, I would struggle to. I will be. It'll be Chelsea or Man City. Yeah. But I think Man City are a better team than they were when they won the league. Aguero's fitness was a major concern last season, and he looks like he should be in a position to start the season and hopefully, from their point of view, stay fit for the entire campaign. Um, they needed to bring someone into the back, and they brought in Eloquia, Eloquim. Mangala, I'm sure I'll get better pronouncing his name as the season Hopefully. goes on. Lampard's an interesting one. Don't know how often he'll play. Sanya, really good signing. He's only 31. I think he's got some great years ahead of him. And Fernando, don't know a huge amount about him aside from watching him play Champions League for Porto. So if he hits the ground running as well, they seem to have improved in all the areas mm. that they had concerns over. And the likes of Fernandinho and Fernando will allow Yaya Torre to get even further forward. Negredo, his fitness is a concern, but Dzeko is looks like he's about to sign a new long-term deal. He looks like he just loves playing for Manchester City now. Jovetic has He'll shown a bit improve. of form now yeah. as well in pre-season. They've just got better, and they're the yeah. league champions. And if the league champions get better, it's hard to look past them. The only question for the first few weeks, obviously, is the betting in of those new players. Uh, presumably Sanya and uh, Mangala come into that back four along I with... I can't see Sanya starting. Sabaleta's the best right-back yeah. in the league. Who, who started the Community Shield blank faces didn't see it I was on guard um, duty look I would be surprised if Sanya played instead of um, Zabaleta um, Sanya has played left full for Arsenal he's also played centre half for Arsenal you're looking at left full and you still have Kolarov and Klichy who are both there would he get into the team ahead of either of those again they're going to be uh, Michael Richards was injured all the time so Zabaleta probably played far more games than they wanted him to last season so mm. Manchester City want to win the Champions League this year you need two quality players in every position which is why they brought in Sanya Alright lads uh, we're going to wrap it there that's our 4 o'clock game on Sunday we've talked too much shit about the other games that you insisted on us rambling on about uh, once again so Three times he's used the S word in this podcast I think it's yeah. more than that the, uh, Lowering the standards as always of, uh, the system hopefully from uh, here on forth uh, we're going to uh, hopefully allow us to spend a bit more time talking about the quality games but before we leave uh, yeah, we do want to talk about our trebles uh, this week and where our bets are going uh, I'll kick things off so every week we're going to put a virtual fiver down and see who's got the most in the bank account by the end of the season and this week I'm going to go for an Everton win Arsenal win and Chelsea win uh, combined odds of 4-1 to one, fiver down uh, gives me a return it's just a little bit over 4-1 to one, 21 quid I'm going to go for Arsenal Liverpool and Sunderland 
just over 5 to 1 get you back 27 quid Sunderland playing Sunderland are a away to West Brom West Brom and I'm going to go for Manchester United, Arsenal, and Leicester to take a point at home to Everton, just under five to one. He loves an old draw, oh, Dave McIntyre. That Leicester-Everton one now between the two. Ye, Jer yeah. Gilroy is uh, also forwarded on his treble, and Jer is not taking too many risks on the opening weekend. He's gone for Arsenal, Liverpool, and Manchester United. You see, I think that's the key to this. Maybe I shouldn't have given away my strategy. It's not exactly Goal, rocket science. Yeah. Just don't get build carried away up, with yourself. Don't be doing stupid things like backing Sunderland to beat West Brom. Stuff like that, I would think, is just... Yeah, that's crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah that's crazy stuff. <laughs> Unlike Everton to win away at Leicester on the opening day. Uh, Jared, Jared's about to get you just over 2-1 to one if you want to play it safe. Ah, well, I mean, that's very safe. Lads, pleasure. First of the season. Look forward to the rest of it. See you out there. Thank you.